Gen C is the generation of the new internet. In Gen C, the C stands for crypto, but it also stands for creators, the connected consumer and collectibles, both digital and physical with on-chain provenance. It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they look at the hybrid, digital, and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen C. Avery, we are back again, as always. Gen C, not riding the wave, creating the wave. We have a great guest today in Austin Hurwitz. He's head of business development and strategy at Doodles. He was at Amazon before. He's been in the music business and really understands that ecosystem. So really excited to talk to him. But first, how are you? I am doing great. Excited to talk Doodles today. Excited about everything that's happening in this summer of on-chain just actually walked past an outdoor billboard that was featuring on-chain summer, um, which is, of course, Coinbase's big initiative that we should talk about. But summer's in full swing, Sam. How about you? How's life in New York? It's humid. It's hot. It's a little annoying. But people seem really happy. And yeah, I think things are great. I'm very happy that I'm not really traveling this month. I know you're all over the place. Uh, I have Europe coming next month because crypto never sleeps and crypto always travels. And crypto loves conferences. And crypto does love a conference. So there's a couple stories that sort of popped onto my feed that I thought we should talk about today. The first one, and I know we want to also address this with Austin because I think you guys were helping them doodles with a Crocs collaboration, but everyone loves a sneaker drop. And it was just announced yesterday, Adidas and Bape, the Japanese brand, they're doing an NFT auction of 100 physical sneakers. You get the NFT, it's then redeemable for one of 100 only pairs, which is already going to make it a pretty rare sneaker for anyone who does collect. I know MoonPay is powering it from a commerce perspective. Is there no depth? Is there no bottom to the sneaker NFT ecosystem? Apparently not. Apparently everyone wants sneakers always, always, always. You know, what I thought was interesting about that drop is in a world where I'm seeing so many brands look to put the tech under the hood, put the tech, you know, underneath, invisible, abstracted, words like that are floating around everywhere. Um, Adidas is really leaning into putting the tech front and center and selling NFTs in a world where I was just looking at the Google trend line for NFTs over the past five years, and you could probably imagine what it looks like. Interest has just dropped off so much in the world of NFTs, but I think it's interesting and it's actually quite differentiated that Adidas is leaning into this really continuing to embrace the NFT ecosystem through their communication, through alts, and through you know drops like this one, which are very focused on exclusivity and almost unabashedly focused on commercialization. Because it's an auction. like This isn't something that's $5. I think that's actually why it's like, okay, they're doing it. They're leaning into it. They're doubling down in a world where like 90% of people are pulling back. Right. So the thing that keeps jumping out for me is in a world of luxury collectibles, where you are seeing more and more younger people getting into that sector, and whether it's sneakers or it's wine or it's watches, I think people are starting to recognize, oh, I can actually invest in things and those assets can appreciate over time. 
so in that world, and I've actually been doing a lot of deep dives into this through the lens of wine, because wine actually, and I know we talked to LVMH about this weeks and weeks ago, but you know, it's hard to ship wine and store it correctly and do all of that in investment grade wine, anything $100 or over. You know, if you're never actually planning on drinking it, the worst thing you can do is take that wine and take possession of it, right? The best thing you could do is actually just keep it as an NFT, have it be in a storage facility that's at the right temperature where it doesn't move ever, and then wait until I sell it to you. And then you decide, I want to drink it for an anniversary and I'm going to redeem that NFT for the bottle. And so I think of that through the same lens I look at these sneakers that I think there's something down the road in the world where half of my collection is really just a digital collection in a wallet and I don't need to physically house it. And then only when the person wants the physical asset do they get to request it. But a lot of the trading should happen in an on-chain manner that's secure and trust first and all of that. So I do think there's something really interesting. I'm very fascinated to see how much these goes for. I'm not someone who will spend thousands of dollars on sneakers, but I have a feeling at only 100 of this collaboration, there's a chance these get pretty pricey. I agree with you. I'm excited to see. And I also love that it's an auction. So the market sets the price, which I think is smart. It's strategic. And it also kind of protects Adidas versus what we've seen some, you know, luxury hype drops do where they set the price and they set a specific quantity that don't move. I think this allows Adidas to treat this as a win sort of regardless of market pricing and demand. So I actually think it's a smart strategy, especially how far in they already are. And the interesting layer is if you were part of the Adidas alts program, of which there's a couple thousand alt NFTs out there, any bid you make, your bid is increased by 10% if you hold the alt. So it actually just rewards that there might even be an interesting gamification of if you think these are going to go for $2,500, that buying an NFT for $200 now may be a benefit in your bid thinking, which is also like an interesting dynamic. The next areas I want to talk about are the metaverse. So there's two things that jump to mind. The first is Zynga, which is one of the most successful mobile gaming companies, is about to come out with its first Web3 game. So they have a studio called Web3 Zynga, I think they're called. They have a trailer out for a project called Sugartown. And it's one where you can use NFTs, you can earn a point sort of currency. The, the currency itself is not a blockchain asset. The NFTs are blockchain assets. But I did think it was just interesting that the large game studios think are starting to pay attention and something where, you know, just think of the people who still 10 years in are playing Candy Crush. You know, there is an unlock that will come of the folks who just love mobile games to play on the subway and planes that might enjoy the fact that maybe there's an earning mechanism to it. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Zynga game experience. It's so funny. I was actually just looking at a proposal for something for one of our partners with Activision and they, of course, have Candy Crush. And yes, a lot of people like Candy Crush, a lot, you know, millions, probably millions are playing it right now at this exact moment. I think it's interesting. I just don't think we've yet seen that much demand in any of these Web3 games. But if anyone can crack it, it's Zynga. You know a little bit about how the game market works. And I'm sure many of our listeners do too. It's not like your first one's always a hit. Oftentimes, gaming companies will need to try a bunch to find that Candy Crush. So let's see, maybe Sugartown is it. It's going to be exciting. And related to that, the first time I ever heard of Zepetto was through you. Zepetto is a Asian market metaverse. Yes, very large one. A very large one. I think there's 300 plus million people who are on Zepetto. And they just announced a deal with Jump Crypto to take $13 million in seed money to start incorporating NFTs and potentially on-chain currencies into their metaverse. 
So they're a competitor to Fortnite, to Roblox, to Minecraft, to some of the biggest ones out there just by their sheer numbers. So it feels like this has the beginnings of a big deal. We don't know if it's a big deal yet. But as I think you and I have spoken so many times that gaming may be the way that Web3 gets to the masses and maybe in ways that they don't even know they're playing in Web3. But I thought this was like kind of a good signal in some respects. Did you have any thoughts about it? Yeah, I bet Rudy Lee is behind this. We should have Rudy come on at a certain point on Gen C. He has actually been thinking about this for years. And we've been talking to these guys about a bunch of different things over the last two and a half years. But I think that they are looking very closely at what is happening in this Web3 world and thinking about how this can integrate with both their immersive experiences that they've built already and ones that they might build in the future. So I'm excited to see where this heads. I you know, appreciate that they're coming in now a little like post-hype cycle because they've been doing their homework and being really thoughtful. And the only build I'd have to what you just said, Sam, is I think it's a compliment. It's not like an or. Like you have a TikTok and you have an X and you have an Instagram. They're all slightly different. I think the same is true for those like gaming experiences. Like just because you play Fortnite doesn't mean you won't play Zepetto. In fact, there's a lot of overlap between those audiences some distinction, of course, and some demographic trends. But I think increasingly, we'll see consumers playing in multiple immersive experiences, sort of depending on their mood, depending how they're feeling, depending on if there's, you know, a piece of content that's interesting and exciting. Yeah, I think what you're saying is something that we always forget as consumers, but we know really intuitively as marketers, right? In the sense that, you know, if you were listening to Christina Aguilera during the day, you're also listening to Nelly Furtado during the day. Exactly. And maybe the Nelly Furtado audience was a little cheaper to get, but you knew that that's how you got to the Christina's audience in a more cost-effective way, right? So I think that the and strategy of maybe there are certain assets that are completely tied to in-game and maybe there are certain assets which get access because there's a loyal and rabid community, that I think is an additive strategy that why would you not think about it if you're in the metaverse game, which doesn't mean you have to give the keys to everything away immediately. It just says we're willing to dip our toes in and see where this goes. And then maybe it creates a network effect that becomes giant in our business. Per usual, brilliant, Sam. I agree. Anytime I drop a Nelly Furtado reference, I... It's spot on. Well, I was going to say, people know how old I am. (laughs) So (laughs) it is what it is. Um, All right, Avery, we are going to jump into a break. When we get back, we do have Austin Hurwitz, head of business development and strategy at Doodles. Really excited to hear from him. And we'll see you after the break. All right. We are here with Austin Hurwitz. Austin is the head of business development and strategy at Doodles. Super excited to talk to Austin. There's a lot happening with Doodles right now in the world. But first, Austin, just to answer the question, what is a Doodle? It's a great question, Sam, Avery. Great to be here. A doodle is anything that ignites your imagination. We believe in the power of doodling. And so whether that is an act of creative expression, it's playing a sport, anything that gets you really igniting your imagination is what we want to empower through doodling. Yeah, it's a joy to work at such a company with a mission like that. But some of them seem to be like made of vapor, some are kind of (laughs) invisible. Like I'm just, you know... And I know you've not been there that long, but I'm wondering is like from a Genesis perspective, right? Like Doodle is just in my head is creativity in a nutshell, right? So was that kind of part of the Genesis of the artwork? Yeah, I mean, for those that know Burnt Toast, I think his entire basis of art is around creativity. And he recently had the opportunity to also serve as a host in the Doodle campaign for Red Bull. 
So he's always been about really expressing creativity through his art. And I think, you know, the doodles, the 10,000 generative PFPs are a reflection of that. So it's not just the humanoids, if you will, but it's also ice creams and popsicles and mine, which is a coffee head, which I think really identifies well with my personality. It's highly caffeinated at all times. So yeah, it is very much like joy in a variety of ways. That's amazing. And we will definitely get to all things doodle art. But Austin, we want to hear also about you. How did you get into this world of doodling? How did you get into this role? What's been your journey? And what's kind of landed you as the head of strategy and business development at a company like Doodles? Yeah, um, had a very interesting journey. I've worked in entertainment for the last decade. Coming out of school, I went to work at Amazon out in Seattle serving as the head of independent label licensing for Amazon Music. So I helped negotiate contracts with record labels and get Amazon Music Unlimited off the ground, which is like their Spotify competitor. It was actually in this process that I started to dive into crypto. Before we went live, I had the amazing responsibility of ensuring that we had rights to everything that was going to be distributed, which for anyone who knows anything about music licensing is a pretty tall task because... The data is all over the place. You have labels that have some of the data. You have distributors that have some of the data. Publishers, a lot of splits aren't even put out into the world before a song is released. And so I spent weeks on end looking at the copyrights office records to determine like if we had someone to pay or not. And that kind of clicked in my head of, okay, I can see a need for decentralization for a ledger and really like sparked my interest in crypto and wrote a white paper around the licensing implications of crypto back in 2017. And then kind of like put it to bed for a little bit. The first wave didn't really work out. As people know from back then, they tried to take like a top-down approach and none of the labels were really biting on that. And yeah, so I ended up working at Amazon Music for five years. I then went down to LA to help kick off Troy Carter and Susie Rue's company, Q&A, which is now Venice Music and operated as the head of product there. So I built the distribution software to get music on the Spotify's and Apple's and Amazon's of the world, took us out of stealth mode, and then actually led our Web3 efforts as that big wave was coming around music. Did that for about two years. Actually got into Doodles my first week as part of really diving headfirst into Web3. And so I got to meet the founders in Twitter spaces every single day. I was going to all the events. It was really trying to actively participate. And then when I left Venice, an opportunity came up where Julian had actually reached out. I was looking to expand the team and felt, you know, based on our interactions working together on the music side, when he was at Billboard and I was at Venice, you know, we had a great working relationship. So I joined at the top of the year and it's been an incredible ride so far. Love that. We certainly talk a lot about music here. I'm personally come out of the music industry a long, long time ago. And one of the things I ask anyone who's been involved in the Web3 side of the music is kind of like, what state are we in the evolution of on-chain music? We hear a lot of what people wanting to be the Web3 Spotify, right? I think most of those people don't really understand the like actual logistics of streaming audio and how the economics work and how the server space, you know, question and like how much just like amount of logistics you have to be in the music industry. So my question for you, just as a tangent, but knowing that you spent some time in this space is, do you think on the music side, we are going to get to a point where Web3 is challenging more of the Spotify sort of or Apple Music's of the world? Or 
should we be looking at Web3 and musicians more along the lines of like early collectibles and being able to say you're at the first show or you have the first band t-shirt? Where do you land on that spectrum? Yeah, I find myself oscillating between the two. And I think it's still really too early to tell none of the products that are out there have really reached product market fit. But I have been really encouraged by the amount of iteration that is happening in the space. I look at a player like SoundXYZ, where they started being this effectively the SoundCloud of Web3 and enabling collectors to own almost like trading cards of music as they come out. And they have like rapidly changed and iterated over time where these things used to go for an ETH. Now you can get in for like $5 where it used to be on ETH mainnet. Now you can get them on any L2 imaginable. And I think that iteration is going to continue to happen. I think it's very challenging for Web3 music to directly compete with streaming. I think they serve very different use cases. I've always naturally like gravitated towards the super fan use case. So less of the like mainstream, I just want to listen to my Spotify while I go on a run and much more of how am I developing a deeper relationship with this artist. And so I look at a company like Medallion, what they're doing and really bridging the you know web two and a half, if you will, the ability to create these fan communities, which are built on top of blockchain, but you can sign in with an email address. They'll create you a custodial wallet. Like they really focus on not the financialization of the NFT, but much more of this is how you're going to track your provenance with the artist. So being able to collect things over time, being able to reward you as a fan, a lot of the early discussions around Web3 music are, this is so great for the artist. And I absolutely agree, but people really had a hard time with how is this great for fans? And I think they're actually nailing a use case when it comes to fan communities that I expect to see a lot more traction on. So that's kind of how I'm evaluating the space right now. I think we're going to see more and more artists jump on board, particularly as they want to have a direct relationship with their fans and fans are looking to declutter everything that they're seeing on socials and build a more intimate relationship with these artists. I love that. And I think that you all are doing a really nice job of that sort of fan fostering and fan building and super fan engagement yourselves at Doodles, both through what you guys do in your current social channels and more recently through expanding the Doodles IP into some really interesting brand partnerships. And Austin, I know you've been at the center of that. You touched a little bit on Burnt Toast and some of the stuff that he's done. And also, we know you are on your way somewhere tomorrow for a big activation that y'all are doing. Can you talk a little bit about your brand partnership strategy as Doodles, some of the things that you're proud of today and some of the things you're looking forward to in the future? Yeah, brand partnerships have been a pretty integral part of our strategy. We've been fortunate with the people that we've brought on board, particularly Julian Holgan and Pharrell as our chief brand officer, to be able to have discussions and dialogue with a lot of the biggest IP in the world and a lot of the biggest brands in the world. But for us, it's really important that we speak natively to culture and that we are aligning ourselves with brands that not only help us introduce ourselves to a new audience, but feel very mission aligned with how we're trying to develop this joyous company that really speaks to both crypto natives and a broader audience as well. And so to date, some of the bigger brand partnerships that we've done, we announced Pharrell's Doodle to the world and his Doodles 2 avatar through a trailer at Something in the Water, where we actually did a collaboration with BBC Ice Cream. And so we had a limited edition collection of merch that was featuring both of the brands. That also was the jumping off point for the Pharrell pack which was a collection of NFTs as wearables 
on the Flow blockchain that were all these brands that Pharrell himself has partnered with. So Adidas was in there, BBC Ice Cream, Human Race. And that was really a way for us to bring Pharrell into this space. We have since, as you alluded to, continued to double down on our brand partnership strategy, whether it be Crocs, which we just recently announced and we're very excited about. We'll be releasing a physical shoe with them. And it's just a natural fit from how they think about the space. And Avery, I know you have a ton of experience working with them to you know the type of palette that they have. They've been an incredible partner. And it's something that our community has been really excited about. So what we're doing with camp and where I'm flying off to tomorrow, opening up their storefront in Chicago, really an opportunity for us to get in front of a mainstream audience, have them fall in love with the brand, the characters, and really lean into this immersive experience as a way to onboard them into the Doodles IP. You know, I got to say, it's so fortuitous that every single one of the folks who collect NFTs also have feet because (laughs) Crocs, Adidas, Nike. I mean, where would we be without all these feet in the world when it comes to these NFT projects? You know, it's funny you say that too. Like what's so interesting to me is I think one of our holders said this, that if there was a Venn diagram between sneakerheads and NFT collectors, it would just be a circle. (laughs) And I talked to a lot of people and a lot of them, I mean, makes sense coming from collector backgrounds. Me personally, like I was a huge sneakerhead growing up. I had like every new Jordan. I still have some pairs that are like in their box. And then COVID hit and I was traveling or like didn't have access to my apartment or what have you. And NFTs just made a lot more sense. They were just like way more portable to have as collectibles and have shoes that like I can't even show anyone because I'm behind a Zoom screen. When I saw Chris Lyons in ECC wearing his NFT Dior's, I was like, all right, this might be a top <laughs> signal right here. Um, Austin, I do want to ask you, you know, Doodles acquired Golden Wolf, an animation studio, worked with you guys, with Moonbirds and some mainstream brands. I thought it was an interesting acquisition. And for me, the first thing I thought was, great, Doodles is like going into the cartoon business, right? And like, which kind of makes sense considering the art style and kind of how you guys have represented yourself. Is there anything you can shed light on on what it means for a brand like Doodles to have a creative studio as part of its network? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on something there, which is if you're creating a character-driven IP brand, Web3 or not, creating content is at the core of what you do. And for us, we've always thought about building out the Doodle universe. And for those that are in this space, they know if you don't have your own content, organization like you need to go work with an agency like you need to have someone else build that out who may not be fully aligned with the vision may not know exactly where you're trying to go with it it's also pretty expensive to continue to do that and you're at the mercy of these studios we had the fortunate opportunity of actually working with golden wolf prior to the acquisition they had released the doodles to official trailer at nft nyc last year And through that process, it was a lot of conversation between Julian and Ingi, who's the founder of Golden Wolf and now our chief creative officer, around what it would look like to develop original IP on top of their agency business. So for them, a lot of these animators who want to have a foot in both worlds, they would like the opportunity to dive into a bunch of different IP and work in different styles. But they also want to build something of meaning that they can see and probably own it felt like a really natural fit. And they've been remarkable. We've really been able to ramp up our content efforts. We post multiple times across all socials. They've really leaned into developing the lore around our characters. We're actually going to be able to announce 
the names of our main characters coming up pretty soon, actually at camp. Alpha. Alpha. So be on the lookout for that. And then, yeah, our plan is to continue to develop that over time. So starting with short form and really building that out, we just launched our TikTok channel. We're really developing the lore around our characters there. And then you can imagine developing that out over time. And part of that discussion has also been, you know, we talk to every single major studio that's out there. Like we've talked about Doodles movies and TV shows and, you know, short form on YouTube. And at the end of the day, it was really important for us to be able to have full agency over our destiny and know that, you know, just because we signed a deal with one of these companies doesn't mean that it's going to get created. Like we're going to be at the whim of, you know, their timeline and schedules and, you know, what they see as priorities. And this is something that we feel needs to be in the world. So we wanted to really own it fully. End to end, all in house. I love it. And shout out to Ingi. We had like 4,000 Red Bulls together one weekend a few months ago. And <laughs> I think he's awesome. Never had so much soda before or since. But it was really interesting to hear his sort of side of how he built Golden Wolf and all the cool things that y'all are doing together and they're continuing to build with Doodles and also integrated with Doodles and also beyond. I saw some of their work that they've done for other brands and was very impressed as well. But Austin, if you have to look three years into the future, how are Doodles showing up for consumers? Is there a Doodles movie? Is there a Doodles AI best friend? What are some of your predictions for how some of these characters will be integrated with consumers' lives in the coming years? Well, that's a challenging to look into the future. But I think if we think about the core like problems that we are looking to solve, we're very much focused on how can a community have a deeper relationship with an IP? Like, how can they feel that they are co-creating and really developing this alongside with us? Yeah, historically in Web2, it's been a very bi-directional, or I should say omnidirectional relationship where we just broadcast things out and then you receive them on socials or on Netflix or whatever the case may be. And I think what is so encouraging about Web3 is the opportunity for the community to really play a part in what that looks like. So whether that is through fan art, whether it's through our artists in residence program, where we're actually bringing animators into our world and getting a world-class instruction from people like Ingi and the Golden Wolf team, I think they have a real part to play in building this into what it can ultimately become. I also think we're a technology company at the end of the day. Like we recognize, yeah, obviously content, creative, merchandising are all very core to what we do, but we were incubated out of Web3 and we will always look to push the envelope on emerging technologies wherever they live. So constantly looking at what are the new developments on all the different chains. Personally, I've been very excited about what's going on in base and we can definitely talk about that to you know, what's going on in AI. Like, are there opportunities to have AI agents for your doodles that are communicating with one another? Is there something like a Tamagotchi that exists? <laughs> it's just like your doodle character out in the world. And we try to turn over all of those stones. You know, we'll end up being hopefully very strategic with which ones we end up going with. But we always want to be on the cutting edge and really thinking through how can we continue to evolve the relationship between the community and the IP. Austin, yesterday I was at dinner and I heard of a very major brand who is coming into Web3 very soon. And I was very excited. I can't tell who it is. But you guys have been through the ups, the downs of what it is to build a Web3 brand. And it's a tough road, right? 
So if you were giving advice, what should that person know about how do you build a Web3 brand, managing your like original holders, all the new holders you want to bring in? How do you manage community? How do you keep your focus? Like this is a space that's kind of like moves so fast and has so much like the spectrum of people's opinions and joy and anger and all of it is just like, it's a lot. So like, how do you guys manage that and continue to keep focus on your forward vision? Yeah, I think it's, man, we certainly haven't gotten it all right. And I don't think any brand in the space has, particularly in such a nascent space to build in public is, it sounds really nice on paper. It's a lot more challenging to actually do and show up every day. And so like, in terms of advice that I would give, I think it's being as transparent as you can be with your community about what your vision is, that may change and being consistently communicating what that change may look like, I think is very important. The truth of the matter is a lot of the brands that exist today look very different than what they look like when they minted. The visions look different, the strategies look different, the financing looks different. And because of that, like the roadmaps look different. And so as much as you can keep your community on the same page about where you're trying to go, I think is very important. On the flip side of that, we're in a very interesting time, I think, with these brands that were incubated out of Web3 and that the reaction to a lot of announcements has been met with disappointment just across the space right now. It feels like most things will not match the expectations of the communities. And that's just a very interesting spot to be in. I think there are market dynamics that ultimately we can't control. With that in mind, what we can control is our execution and continue to be steadfast in our vision. There's a very interesting balance between, and you don't just see this in Web3, but just overall, like in finance, venture capital, this idea of like sell the sizzle, not the steak, which seems to be in direct contradiction to you know, under-promising and over-delivering. So I don't have a perfect answer on it. I think it's something that no one has really nailed on how exactly you like thread the needle of communication and expectations. But I think if you try to just be honest upfront while ultimately trying to surprise and delight at the end of the day, you put yourself in a good position, but be prepared that you're not going to please everyone and you know be in this for the long haul and know that it will be a slog at times. So Avery, I want to ask you a question and then Austin, I want to get your thoughts on the same question. Because this is something that I think has been popping up for me over the last week, which was the idea that how much the concept of a roadmap hurt and helped these companies to sort of become something. I forget who said it. I don't know if it was like 9059 or someone put up on Twitter, like, God forbid anyone talk about the utility of their NFTs today, right? Because there were these very vast roadmap concepts, right? Whether it was Oni Force or it was like all of these like early, the meccas, like everyone was building the next biggest thing of everything. And everyone was the next Disney of something. Like it was really a time where there was so much hyperbole. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But not only that, but everyone who's giving any FUD was also like dragged to death on Twitter. Right. And now I think we look back. And so Avery, I would like your opinion first, which is, you know, brands don't build in public the way that NFT projects do, right? Brands just want to like show up and drop some shit and then like people are either loving it or hating it. But that's how you decide success. And your KPI is usually often a sales number and like social mentions. 
the minute you put a roadmap out there, you are telling everyone and telegraphing what you're going to do. And then you have to like live up to it. And unless you hit every piece, you're going to disappoint somebody. So Avery, my question for you as such a seasoned marketer is, was the concept of the roadmap the wrong play? I think that trends drive everything. And there was the trend of the roadmap for a little bit, which was really started with Board Ape. There wasn't really a roadmap culture before that. If you look at punks, there was no roadmap for punks. And I'll also say, if you look at VFriends, there's no public roadmap for VFriends. I think that the roadmaps became super popular. And a lot of what was on those roadmaps was like really exciting and inspirational. And sometimes it was aspirational. And I think that now that's tricky for some companies who have needed to shift strategy. Austin, I think you're exactly right. A lot of Web3 native brands have been on this roller coaster of like, often these were like independent artists who had a tremendous amount of success and then needed to hire, you know, established teams. And that has worked out really well in certain cases. And in other cases, that's been very challenging. But at the same time, you also have seen like, this was such a cultural movement and moment in time that people who saw that embraced it, understand it, understand how to harness the power of community to build a brand. I think that's incredibly powerful. The concept of roadmap to me is more of a tactical execution than something that is necessarily needs to be a strategic underpinning. Austin, I'm curious your thoughts. And I would love to talk to you a little bit about the evolution that you led also of Doodle Bank to Incubator, which I thought was a really like smooth, smart transition and an example of how some of these Web3 native brands have evolved in a way that's a positive thing for themselves and for the community members who might feel, Sam, to your point, that they were promised one thing at hype cycle. And, and obviously now things have changed. Yeah, I mean, I by and large agree with your answer. And it's interesting coming from a Web2 background, if you will, on the music side where we built in stealth. Like, I think it was Bobby Hundreds who said, if we were judged on like the first five years of the hundreds, like we would be done for. <laughs> like if we had to like build, you know, that was their wandering in the desert period of like really figuring out who they were as a brand, what they were trying to develop towards like getting all of the relationships and building it into what it is today. It takes a long time. I mean, you even look at like Figma is a great example of this as a company that now had a massive exit to Adobe. They couldn't figure out users for five years. Like it's the same thing. And so it is challenging to, particularly in a bull market, have these really high expectations, misaligned, ultimately, expectations oftentimes. And part of that is owned, I think, by how these brands were incepted and what they chose to communicate or did not choose to communicate. But have to remember, it's like a lot of first-time founders as well that are really like learning what it looks like to build not only a company, but build a company in public, which I think is much harder. I don't have like the perfect answer on like how much to communicate. I don't think anyone has really nailed it. I will say those that communicate less and typically aren't the ones that are trying to build brands, like you brought up CryptoPunks, right? There is no mention of a roadmap because there is no roadmap. And you look at the brands even that are doing and the NFT PFPs that are doing well right now, the Miladies of the world, not trying to build a brand, like simply just exist. And so there is really nothing to poke holes at. I do think ultimately a lot of this is just a reflection of current market dynamics. And we will see a pendulum change when we start to see dynamics of the entire market change, more holders come back, these brands continue to grow. It's just like 
it is finding its equilibrium. And I think that there's a maturation happening both for founding teams and for community members who have to remember this is probably the first time a lot of them were bringing this much to the table and purchasing these NFTs. So, Okay, but also the incubator, the Doodle Bank's incubator moment. Tell us how that happened. A little birdie told me you helped drive a lot of that. Uh, Yeah, this was my baby. Uh, So it's funny, like going back before I joined the team, I was a holder since the very first week. I had a pickle. I was like known as pickle in the community for a while, which is very strange to like go to NFT NYC and people call you pickle. So we nipped that in the bud pretty quickly. But okay, pickle. (laughs) I still have friends like who still call me. It's ridiculous. But through that process, like I was really encouraged by the initial development of the Doodle Bank. I thought, wow, here's an opportunity for me to create something with this IP for the betterment of not only Doodles, but myself. And I was very encouraged by that. The challenge, and I think this is like a challenge broadly of DAO governance, but particularly for these NFT brands, was participation, was the level of quality for the proposals themselves. You know, were the people that were submitting them actually, did they have the capabilities of executing on what they said they were going to? And then by and large, like a lot of the people that bought doodles in the beginning didn't want to participate in the bank. Like most people, surprisingly different than what you see on Twitter, but like most people just buy these and then they go in about their lives. Like they're not on Twitter every day. They're not participating in everything. And so I saw an opportunity there really like coming on board. How could we give more resources to the community to really make this what it could be? And how can we also align incentives between the community and the Doodles team to ensure that the types of proposals that we saw were ultimately in the best interest of both the brand and for holders? So in that, we transitioned from the Doodle Bank, which was uh, DAO governance, to more of a hybrid model where we actually brought in five community council members to govern the bank. So they're responsible for seeing all the proposals that come in, voting on them, working with the proposers on refining their proposals as well, and then making sure that the funds get distributed. They also have a direct line of communication to both me and the team at large, speak to them daily, and really get a first like look into everything that we have developing so that they can make sure that the things that are coming through the pipe are very aligned with where we're trying to go as a brand. This was also an opportunity for us to launch requests for proposals, something that I'm very excited about. So we have needs as a team all the time where we think we could bring in the community and be able to incentivize them to participate. The few that we've launched so far, one is what I mentioned earlier, the artist in residence program. So we allowed for, we know we have a bunch of creators in our community. We had them submit to be part of this program. And it's really like a full on like you're working with Doodles for X number of weeks, like sitting with the Golden Wolf team, sitting with Ingi, like really learning the tools of the trade and then actually being able to create a lot of content as part of that. So that was a really successful one. Art Dude, who has been a incredible member of the community since the very beginning, has created so many amazing derivatives that have like really brought the community together. I think I personally have like five or six of them, is our first artist in residence. And then we also did another RFP for content creation at camp. So we actually paid for people within our community to fly out to Chicago, come to the Holder event, interview holders, take videos, put up a bunch of different content. And so those have been a few that have gotten off the ground so far. 
We will also have opportunities through this to really incubate businesses, which is why it's called the incubator. So you're someone with an idea. You want to use the Doodles IP and really look to accelerate it. What we are doing is effectively giving grants to these people to start up their businesses. And then we'll look to propagate them and build more awareness for their businesses as they go along. We'll also be looking to give them more internal resources, both from the council and from the team internally as well. And yeah, so we've got the grants, we've got funding of community events, ways to bring people together. It's been remarkable to see the interest so far. I think in the three or four weeks it's been live, we've seen over like 40 proposals. We have three events going on in Chicago tomorrow. So people have really leaned into it and are excited by it. Amazing. Austin, thank you so much. I have one last question, then we're going to let you go. But thank you for spending the time with us today. Yeah. My final question is, what are the areas of Web3 or the general sort of new evolution of the internet that you're most focused on as you kind of think about how we're going to grow the space further? Is it through AI? Is it gaming? Is it physicals? Like, what are the areas that you think are going to see the most growth in the future? Got a few. I am very interested at the convergence of AI and crypto. I think they are natural counterweights to one another in a lot of respects. Like from an ideological standpoint, AI seems like it's fairly centralized, tends to be like one entity holding a lot of the data that is then disseminated to a bunch of different people to use. And crypto is the polar opposite of being very decentralized and very much about everyone having access to the data. What I think will come of that is them kind of like balancing each other out So when you think about the security that's going to be needed for AI, when you think about the way to validate that information is correct. So all the work that's been done in crypto around like zero knowledge proofs, I think that will be applicable to what's going on in AI. And there are ways that we'll be able to interact with it that, you know, we can't even think of today. Like right now, everything is chatbots, conversational AI. I don't know that I'm sold on that as a form factor over time. I still think it requires actually too much on the human to actually develop a good prompt and then have a conversation. I think what will ultimately happen is we'll be receiving a lot more information. And then on just like the pure crypto side, I'm really interested in L2s. I think my experience with BASE has kind of like opened my eyes to how quickly these L2s have really developed in a short amount of time. Like I remember early days of Polygon, it was like still Matic. I'm reading like tutorials on how to set up my, you know, within my MetaMask wallet, how to bridge, you know, taking like an hour or two when on-chain summer is happening right now. And I was able to set up my wallet, purchase an NFT with a credit card and have it within 30 seconds. Like it blew my mind in terms of like how quickly we're developing. And I think we're seeing a shift that will continue to develop over time. The conversation has always been about like the infrastructure, the infrastructure, the infrastructure. I actually think the infrastructure is like there between what we're doing on the security side, account abstractions coming online, what we're able to do on L2s, rollups. Like we have good infrastructure. Now it's about can we build meaningful consumer applications on top of it? And I'm seeing that shift start to happen. So I'm really interested of like what are the next thousand dApps that come online that people are going to start interacting with and just you know spending a lot more time there and what role will we have to play in that? Well, I'm sure Pickle is going to have a big role in the future of all of these things. Oh my gosh, Avery. 
<laughs> Never going to let that down. <laughs> Austin, aka Pickle, thank you so much for coming on with us. If anyone is in Chicago, make sure to go check out the pop-in that's happening in the camp store there with Doodles. That would be amazing. I've seen some of the video and the photos. It looks incredible. So congrats on that. And kudos to you and the team. Shout out to Bianca. And yeah, just thanks for spending some time with us. It was really great to sort of understand your story a little bit more and where the doodles are going. Well, thank you both so much. I really had a lot of fun. Can't wait to see where the doodles have next. And, you know, having you at the helm, Austin, I know it'll be pointed in the right direction. Proud doodle holder over here. I can't believe I waited till the last moment to say that, but I love everything you're doing and excited to see all of the pictures and videos and content creation that comes out of your community for the camp activation. Yeah, thank you so much. We're really excited. And if you're not able to make it this weekend, it'll be running for months. So if you're in Chicago, be sure to check it out. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you there. Austin, aka Pickle, was such a fantastic guest. What a fun pleasure to have him on, share a little bit about his background going from being a doodle holder to leading their strategy and business development efforts. Sam, what did you think? Absolutely. I think we've been trying to have the doodles team come on since consensus. So it's been months and months in the making. I'm glad we finally were able to do it, especially around the opening of their collaboration with Camp, which does look really fun. I think everyone's always talked about doodles in the same way I think they talk about pudgy penguins. Are Is this kind of the next sort of kids-based IP that has the opportunity to kind of branch out beyond the Web3 and NFT ecosystem? And I think that, you know, with folks like Austin and Julian and Bianca at the helm, they will get there. So yeah, super fun. They're so cute. The doodles, I love their color palette. Always have. Should have brought this up on the podcast, but we've worked with them on a bunch of different brand stuff from Bear Paint, South by Southwest, OG. I remember that one. Yeah. To we worked with Burnt Toast on the Red Bull thing to the Crocs thing. I think that it's also such a brand friendly IP. You know, some things in NFT world are like gory and about death and like, you know, about weapons. And (laughs) this is a nice family friendly, fun IP that I think, you know, people see and it brings them joy. And it's awesome to hear how they've sort of built their team moving from Scott and Evan and Jordan into this now this whole ecosystem of team based all over the world doing cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Your doodle, does it have a face or is it like a blank piece of paper with eyes? Like what's your personality in your doodle? I think it's definitely like a floor doodle, but she has pink hair. She's super cute. Have you ever had pink hair? Uh, I've never had colored hair at all. Okay. Fun fact about me. Art Basel coming up. <laughs> exactly. You know what? There's always <laughs> next year. There's always 2024. Uh, but my doodle is very cute. I have been a fan of what they have been building for a long time and excited to see where it continues to head. I think they've got a nice recipe of really OGs. I mean, Evan and Jordan are really like OG dapper folks. So deep in it. And I think they've seen some of these cycles happen before and been able to ride the winds of change. And I think they'll be able to ride them again. Absolutely. All right, Avery, such a great time as always with you. I look forward to next week. I don't even know who we have, but it's going to be amazing. This is show number 40, by the way. Yes. The big 4-0. We made it to the big 4-0. I feel like this is like I'm supposed to buy you like copper or something like that. Yeah, some kind of anniversary gift. Yeah, I'll send you a pot. Great. Um, (laughs) And with that, we'll see everybody next week. And feel free to get in touch with us. Let us know if you have any feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Take care, Gen Z. See y'all next week. Bye.